Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. In the series that I'm doing entitled Awakening, Awakening is a word used in the Bible that speak about bringing us to alertness, arousing something inside of us, and bringing us out of a sleep. The angel in Zechariah chapter 4 shook the prophet and he awoke and he was able to see the vision that God had for his life and for the nation. I want the Holy Spirit to shake every person in our church in a very righteous way to shake you to alert and to arouse you to want to do something for you and in you by the Holy Spirit to arouse your attention to some things in your life that might need to change. I'm talking about six particular Uh, awakenings that happen during this season right now. I'd like you to take these down. Awakening alignment. Alignment is a word that answers itself. If your car is out of alignment, you will take it to the shop because it's shaken and there's a problem. Two is to awaken abandonment. I'm talking about you. Awaken something in your life that would say, Lord, I want to surrender everything I have into your hands. Awaken abandonment. Third is agreement. I want to help you get your prayers answered. How to awaken agreement in your life. How to pray the right kind of prayers with the right kind of spirit. What we do to find agreement with God, with scripture, with ourselves, with others. The power of agreement. Fourth, anticipation. Awaken in you a thought that God has some great things for you. He's going to do some awesome things in your life and with your family. Anticipation is a spirit of faith. You have an optimistic view about what God wants to do. Awaken amazement. Amazement is the word I'm using for miracles, signs and wonders, awakening us, a hunger to see the supernatural happen in us, through us, around us, see the amazing works of God in people's lives. And so the amazement is awakening us to the point that we are looking for amazing things to happen. We're looking for awesome things to happen because we believe that God wants to work in our life and do mighty things. And then also awakening advancement. That is, I want you to grow. This is a year for you to be fruitful, to grow, to progress, to get out of some spiritual ruts, possibly, to leave some baggage behind, maybe, to change some areas of your life in the spiritual realm, the domestic realm, the marketplace, some areas that you need to really be moving forward in. That's why we're calling the church to a time of fasting and a time of prayer. Now, remember, fasting and prayer does not work if you just go without food. You have to add prayer with it. If you just go without food, it's just going without food. But if you go without food for a spiritual purpose, And you add in prayer, meditation, the word of God, and you begin to seek the Lord for your life, then prayer and fasting together begins to work something in you that prayer by itself will not work. Here's one of my definitions for prayer and fasting. Fasting promotes a greater concentration of spiritual perception. When you begin to fast, your spirit man actually begins to grow. You get more alert. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. In the natural realm, when you begin to fast, toxics begin to surface in your body and you start getting headaches and start getting some pains and pains and and this and that. And you start not knowing if you really want to go through this. But the more water you drink, uh, the purer the juices are, the more you take care of yourself, do some walks, do some exercise. In a couple days, the headaches go away. Why? Because you get rid of the toxics. You begin to flush them out of your system. 
And about the third day, you actually start feeling stronger in your body. Even though you're not eating food, you actually feel strength come into your body. Your mind gets more alert because you have more power going to the brain, more blood to the brain instead of digesting all the foods. And so your mind is more alert and your spirit man becomes more alert. So as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual, you start getting some better spiritual perceptions. As you read the word, you start having better insights. As you have decisions to make, you start realizing what that decision means to you. You have a better grasp on it. You're more alert to what you have to do. You make a better decision. That's what happens when you fast and pray. You become more effective for the kingdom of God and God's purposes. Now, I want to deal with alignment for a few minutes this morning, awakening alignment in our life. In a very practical way, in a very real way, I want to align every person this morning as we begin to move into this 40 days of prayer and fasting. Alignment for me is a very simple definition. Here's my definition. Aligning life to Jesus, his word, his authority, his kingdom is what I mean by alignment. You can't go any simpler than that. That when you align your life, The very first step is for you to not start thinking, well, I need to align my my finance and I need to align some relationships and, you know, this is out of alignment. That's great because we need to get to those. But the very first alignment that a person must make in their life is their spiritual alignment, alignment to the Lord Jesus Christ, his word, his authority, his kingdom. And then you give a single hearted devotion to that alignment and things begin to change inside of you. Watch me, a writer of many books made this statement about people. He said, a spiritual person is not a spiritual person just because they're born again. But a spiritual person is one who is walking in spiritual alignment. You see, you can be born again, actually have an opening in your spirit and find Christ at some time as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, in an experience, an encounter, an altar call, a home, a car, a restaurant, someplace you pray to prayer, and you actually had a spiritual encounter. Jesus Christ came into your life and something changed. But if you don't take the spiritual enlightenment, the illumination of Christ coming into your life, and do something with it to align yourself to the kingdom of God, which means you align yourself to the word of God, what is inside of you doesn't grow. So a spiritual person is not one who has just been born again, or as we say in America, saved, or a person who goes to church. There are a lot of people who go to church who never put their life under Christ. They mentally understand it. They biblically understand it, but they never really align themselves to Jesus. Like many of the disciples and people that Jesus encountered in the New Testament, we read about them as the rich young ruler came to him and he was going to align to Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, you have to align all of your riches, your wealth, and your whole life under me too. The young man says, I'm not going to do that. What, What do you mean? Well, no, I'm not going to do that at all. Well, that's your problem. You, you don't have the power of alignment then. You just have a mental ascent. And on it goes. Uh, as disciples and people came and said, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, well, uh, then give up all and follow me. Well, I have to go and, and uh, take care of some stuff at the house, you know, my estate. My father just died and I got to put everything in order. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. Testing the person. Why? Because when you come unto Jesus, you don't just come to salvation of heaven and hell. Now I'm leaving hell and I'm going to heaven as a promise. You 
also bring your present life under Jesus. And when you do that, there are some stipulations that come with it. You have to align yourself not only to Jesus, but to his word. So everybody that came to Jesus to align themselves, Jesus would say to them, oh, by the way, pick up your cross and follow me. Cross, there's a cross involved. How about pick up your couch and follow me? How about pick up your food and follow me? How about, what do you mean cross? I mean, in those days, a cross had a very clear definition. Cross was death. Cross was suffering. Cross was a problem. It was not a popular thing to do, obviously. And so Jesus says, oh, by the way, if you follow me, you have to pick up your cross. Oh, I'm not done yet. Deny yourself. Oh, that's wicked of you to say deny yourself. Leave everything behind and serve me. Well, I don't know if I can do that. You can't have two masters. You can't serve man and God. You can't serve me and yourself. You have to make a decision. It was very clear in the days of Christ where he brought people to himself. He made them come to a place of total dedication and commitment to align their entire life to him where everything came under his authority, where he would say to them, now I want you to change this part of your life. Okay, Jesus, help me change it. I'm ready to do it. Yes, sir. You're my curios, Lord, master, and you're my savior from sin, but you're also my savior from myself. I will turn to you and you align your life. How many of you in the services today would say there's a few areas in your life that need to be aligned to Jesus. Whoa, that's a hundred percent. Of course there is. The key to this is not that we have areas to be aligned, but that we're willing to let him align them. The key is the submission to Jesus to say, your Lord, whatever you want, Lord, I'll leave that relationship behind if you want me to, because I know it's an unrighteous relationship and I shouldn't have it. And Jesus, if you want, I'll give that up. Jesus says, you know, you need to give that up. Okay, it's done. You know, Lord, this part, and you start putting your life in alignment according to the word of God. All right. There are three alignment destroyers that will come against every one of us. They're in first John chapter five, the world, the flesh and the devil. When you come to Jesus, you have something that changes inside of you or it should change inside of you. And we'll get to that. And immediately the world begins to attack you. The world is a system of values and behaviors and beliefs that try to mold you into someone else. The world tries to transform you into one of its own. Tried to give you a temporal value system, an immoral value system, a value system that is anti-God, anti-authority. That's what the world does. The world system is not just a word, it's a spirit. And that's what we deal with as we serve Jesus. All of a sudden we're awakened to the kingdom of God. We have to resist the spirit of the world, the culture of the world, the values of the world. Therein lies tension. There comes warfare. All of a sudden we find ourselves being torn between two where before we could just serve our flesh and serve ourselves and go ahead and let the world mold us. There was no big deal. We would go as far as we want to go. And if we wanted to be selfish, be selfish, want to be immoral, be immoral. We wanted to be a deceiver, be a deceiver because the whole world is built around these base values. If you want to call them values, these base actions. And so our flesh can agree with those, but all of a sudden we're in Jesus and the word of God comes and says, Oh, by the way, you can't lie anymore. Well, that's a very hard thing for me. I lied my whole life. You have to quit lying. And by the way, you can't be a lazy worker anymore. 
Well, I've been a lazy worker all my life. I, I don't like bosses. I don't like authority. And by the way, you can't mouth off to authority anymore either. I don't like that. I've always been able to vent myself and tell everybody what I think about anybody in authority. You can't do that anymore. All of a sudden, you have attention. You have to change. You say something bad to your wife and Holy Spirit says, Hey! You can't do that anymore. Love her the way Christ loved the church. You go back in there and ask her forgiveness, give her a hug, and tell her the dinner is awesome. <laughs> it's Jesus. It's Jesus changing you from serving yourself to serving him. From being in a kingdom of selfishness and flesh to a kingdom of Jesus and values that puts self on the cross. And you actually begin to change to become more like Christ. The world, the flesh, and the devil will always work against that. Now, here's the first alignment. The first alignment for every one of us is to align our life to Jesus, as I said before. But let me put it in a framework to make sure you understand what I mean by salvation. All right? Aligning your life to Jesus is a life that has never been given to Jesus is what I'm dealing with. Now, most of you probably in church service, the reason you're here today is because you have some relationship to Christ. Although in every service so far on every campus, there have been people in in uh, every one of them that were totally unsaved, unchurched people that do not have a relationship to Jesus that came to that knowledge this morning by saying, you know what, I've never aligned my life to Jesus. And I realized it for the first time this morning or last night, and I need to align my life with Jesus. Now, this is what I mean by aligning your life to Jesus. Something happens inside and there's a movement. To align to Christ is to move from the kingdom of darkness, whether you knew you were under it or not. The kingdom of darkness has a king. It has a kingdom with power and authority. And you were under the power and authority of the prince and ruler of the air, the Bible says, which is the devil and all the spirit kingdom and everything to do with that kingdom. You were under the prince and power of the air. You're under the influence of the devil, under the influence of darkness. You actually had been bought by him and he was going to slam dunk you right into his kingdom and eventually right into hell. But Christ comes along and he moves you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But something has to happen in order for that move to take place. You have to move from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. There's only two kinds of people listening to my voice right now. Those who are out of Christ and those that are in Christ. There's no in between. You're not out of Christ in church and maybe going to be in Christ. There's no in between. Either you are out And if you're out, you have no life in you for Christ. You have no response to the Bible, no response to prayer. You have no life in you to make you desire any more of spiritual things. You're out. When you come to church, you're amazed at all the people that are so passionate about prayer and worship. And then when the money thing comes up, you're really amazed. Why would these people give their money? Don't they understand money is hard to come by? How can they possibly ask these people to give up 10% of their income? That is the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard of. If you're out, everything we do is ludicrous. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's ludicrous. That means it's unbelievable. It's unexplainable. I, I, it, it's, it, I can't even grasp it. 
It's a weird thing for someone to ask for your money or to ask you to pray or to ask you to help or to ask you to serve or to ask you to open your home or to ask you to bow your knees and worship together, whatever it might be. A person who is out of Christ would look at that and say, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get anything out of these services. I don't clap. I don't sing. I don't open my Bible. I don't pray. There's nothing about it. I certainly am not going to give my money. There's no problem with that. I don't expect that you can do that because you're probably not in Christ. You're in yourself. And when you're in yourself, you can't serve Christ. There has to be a born again experience. It's not because I say, okay, I'm going to move from out to in now. You have to actually have a spiritual change in order to move from being out of Christ to actually move in your life into Christ, something has to change inside of you. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, notice what it says, If anyone is in, everyone say the word in. in. Everyone say the word out. out. Everyone say, if you're out, if you're, out. You're, out. you're out. If you're in, you're in. You're in. Now there's no... Confusion here. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Colossians 1.13, you've been translated over to another kingdom. And because that has happened, something began to take place in your life. Now, to be in Christ means that I take all the roots of self that used to be in my own nature, rooted in me, my desires, my passions, my decisions, my destiny, me. My whole life is rooted in me. When I come to Jesus, I pull up roots. I move over and I drop my roots into Jesus. And everything now that I'm all about, everything about my desires and my passions, my ambitions, my future and my destiny is now in Jesus first and me second. I have a whole new center Peace. I have a new core. I have a new place to start with. And that new place is a new heart and a brand new spirit that is alive to Christ. I want you to pray this prayer with me, everybody. All right. It's on the screen. It's a prayer of salvation. If you have never prayed this prayer, this will serve you to start the journey. If you have prayed it before, then you can just pray with all of us as we're helping everybody align their life to Jesus. Are you ready? Here we go. Out loud. I know that I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Stop right there. The first realization of salvation starts with, wow, I can't do this myself. I need help. Let's read it again. I know that I am a sinner that I need forgiveness. I believe that Christ died for my sin. I am willing to turn from my sin. And now invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart and life as my personal Savior. I am willing, by God's grace, to follow and obey Christ as Lord of my life. Every head bowed, just right here for a second. Just bow your head. Now, if anybody on any of the campuses prayed this prayer for the first time, and you're saying, Frank, I'm praying this, even though you asked me to, but I'm also praying this as a hunger and a desire to find Jesus, and that's the journey I'm on. This is the first time I prayed it, and I really want this prayer to work for me. I want Jesus to come into my life. I want this to be a turnaround. Would you just slip your hand up wherever you're seated? Just let me see your hand. I won't do anything else. Just slip your hand up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. On each one of the campuses, I can see hands going up. Thank you. Just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I'm starting my journey to follow 
Jesus. All right. At the end of the service, I'll ask you if you want to pray with us some more. You can come forward. We'll give you something and we'll pray with you a little bit more. Here's a second alignment. All right. Every head up. Now looking again. Here's the second alignment. Aligning a life that has drifted away from Jesus. There are all kinds of people in our congregation, some on a passionate pursuit of God, others who are struggling with that pursuit, but they're trying. And then some that come into the services and they know what this is about because they have been a Christian, maybe back in their childhood, their teenage days or some point, but they have drifted away. They've lost the fire, lost the heart. And not only that, but possibly in the drifting, they have been beat down and broken up by the world system and life experiences, and maybe because of their own sin, maybe because of their own decisions, just bad decisions to do the things they've done because they were outside of the grace of God. They just walked away from the Lord and walked away from church. And we would call that a prodigal or a person who has drifted away. And so prodigals that come to church into our congregation, we have them come in all the time because I believe we have a heart for this. Prodigals have a very special place in the heart of God. And this is how special it is. When you go to Psalm 56, it talks about our wanderings and how God knows exactly where we wandered. But the best chapter, obviously, to read about prodigals is Luke 15. In Luke 15, it's the parable that Jesus gives to understand how God feels about people who have drifted away. And so it's the parable of the father. And the father has two sons. One son takes his inheritance, runs away, lives a life of immorality, wastes all of the money, ends up in a pig pen, literally realizing his life is ruined. And in the pig pen, as he's eating the pig food, he says to himself, even the the least of my father's servants in my father's house have better food than this. What has happened to my life? A realization comes. I've ruined something. Something is wrong. What have I done to myself? What have I done to my inheritance? What have I done to my future? I have no hope. I am without friends. I'm without everything. I'm sitting here in the middle of a pig pen. And so he gets up. It says he arises from the pig pen. And he says, I'm going to go back to my father's house. And on the way to the father's house, he starts rehearsing. What will I say to the father? How will I approach the father? I'm sure that he's disgusted with me. He's probably so angry. I'm not even sure he'll let me come home. And I know this is going to be an embarrassing moment for all of them. And so he practiced his speech all the way back from a far country, all the way back to the father's house. Father's house was a big house with a plantation and servants. We know that from Luke 15 in this parable. And there must have been a long, dusty road up to the father's house because this is the way the story is told by Jesus. As the young man is coming up the road, imagine how you would feel. I got to face the father, face the brother, face the servants, face myself. I've blown it. I've wasted it. I've been a fool. I'm an idiot. I have broken everything. I violated. My body's wasted. My mind's wasted. I have no money. I have nothing to live for. All I'm going to say to the father is, listen, I'm wrong. I blew it. Just let me come back and live in the barn. Let me come back and just... um, Let me come back and be a servant. At least I can have servant food. I won't ask you for anything else. I I just want to come back and have a roof over my... And this boy is going through all of the different things he might say to the father. But just Jesus telling the parable. Guilty son, shame son, broken son. What about the father? The father looks out and sees this guy coming a long way off, it says. 
Only as a father could do. He could tell by the way the guy was walking. Kind of walks like my boy. Gets up on the porch and looks out down the road. He says, that can't be him. He's awful thin. Wow, what the hell's he dressed? It's just, I think it is. And then the father starts getting excited. It is, it's my son. And without any thought of embarrassment or that he would have entitlement or empowerment to put into the son some kind of an authority thing where he could rebuke him and make him feel the shame he needs to feel for what he's done. I'll wait for him to come and let him throw his dirty body down at my feet and then I will deal with this kid. The father didn't do it. He took off running. All of a sudden, all the servants in the house are looking around saying, what is going on? What's the old man doing? Well, the old man is sprinting down the road. Now everybody is kind of buzzing around the plantation. They're watching this happen. And then the broken prodigal son sees the father coming. I wonder what he's going to do is maybe hit me. Maybe tell me to get off the property. I don't know what to say, but I'm going to be real quick and say, Father, please forgive me because I I was wrong. And and he's practicing his speech. But before he can do anything, the father tackles him on the road and starts kissing him all over his face. And before he can talk, he's kissing him on the mouth and on the cheek. And he's saying, my son who was dead is alive. My son who was lost is found. And you know what? Hey, guys, bring a robe. Put him on right now. They put a robe. Bring some shoes. Put some shoes on him. Bring a ring from the house. The ring. The ring is the bank account. It's the MasterCard, the Visa card. It's the everything. It's it's the ring that you stamp at the store to buy anything you want. It's it's all the money you've ever needed. He says, bring the ring, put it on his finger. All of a sudden, he goes from brokenness, shame, and nothing back into royalty, robe, sandals, ring, acceptance. The father is hugging him. Kill the fatted calf. Let's party. My son is home. He never had a chance to say everything he had to say because his brokenness was enough of his repentance. God loves Prodigals. God loves prodigals. Come on, give the Lord a hand this morning. God loves prodigals. He loves prodigals. All you have to do, all you have to do is just move a little toward him and he'll gobble you up. If you just slightly turn your heart, he'll come down and just swoop you up. If you just... Whimper out a little bit of a prayer. God help me. I, I know all these things. He doesn't need to know all these things. He just wants to know that your heart is turning to him. And he'll come right down and take your heart. And here's a great prayer to pray. A prodigal prayer. I want you to pray it with me. Are you ready? Everybody out loud. Here we go. Father, I have sinned greatly against you. I have tried to live my life apart from you, and now my soul is broken, poor, and lost. Even though I do not deserve your love, I know that you have been waiting for me to return. Today I am turning from all of my sin, and I believe that it is covered by the blood of Christ. Once again, I give my heart to you, Jesus. Be Lord of my life. You've been away. You've been hurt. You've been crushed. You've been broken. You've been beat up. You've been shamed. You know, that it, you know that you want to restore, but you're not sure. Jeremiah 30, 17 is for you that God can restore the outcast and he can bring 
life and health to that body, spirit, emotion. He can turn you around and put a destiny back into your feet, back into your hands. He loves you with an everlasting love. He will never give up on you. When others let you down, He will never let you down. He is your Father. He is your God. He loves you more than anybody could possibly love you. You have beat yourself up long enough. You have looked yourself in the mirror. You talk to yourself in your own car as you drive down the road by yourself saying, what a what a jerk you are and what you have done and how could you waste your life this way and I'll never be normal again and I can never restore all these things. I'm telling you right now, our God is a God of restoration. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God that does things that no one else can do. He can change your life. Don't let the devil take another minute from you. Don't let the devil take another day from you. Don't let the devil take another week from you. Don't let the devil take another month from you. Today is the day to turn to God. Turn to God and let his grace just fall upon your life. And today starts a whole new day. Things will change.